You can uh, take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 11 through 21. If you've got the church app, you can just uh, press the sermon notes there and you'll find the scripture, or you can press the Bible and it'll open there for you as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 11 through 21. This morning, uh, as we've been on this series about fear not, uh, I want to kind of continue on that theme, but we're going to look at a kind of a dual perspective of fear. The Bible, as in the scriptures that we're looking at today, talks about uh, having a fear of the Lord. But the Bible also tells us that uh, we sometimes battle with this fear of man versus the fear of God. And what I want us to look at the reality this morning is that our fear, our reverence, our love for God should compel us to overcome our fear of human beings and other people and responses that we may get from them. And so this morning I want to focus on the theme, love compels us. Love compels us. Tonight uh, we'll be going out uh, at 4.30 to 6.30 to do uh, Saturate, and that's where we're going out with some packets that's got uh, the Jesus DVD in it, and it's got gospel tracks in it. And we're going to uh, take those to give one to every home in a certain area around the Brookwood area. And as we go out to do that, there are some people who have a fear of doing that because they're a little bit afraid of going out and just meeting people that they don't know, fear of maybe some type of strange response or different types of fear. But having been to the understanding of what Christ did for me and his love for me, that compels me out of love and reverence to my Savior to go out and do what he has called me to do. So my love or his love compels me and overcomes the fears that I have. There was a man that uh, in March of this year in California was on Fox News. His name was Jose Guzman. And Jose Guzman, his house burned down. He and his fiance and some of their kids were having a barbecue cookout and something caused their house to uh, catch on fire. And so Fox News had a report or story about Jose Guzman. And the story wasn't necessarily on the news because that his house burned down, but it was because of one of the things that Jose did while his house was burning down. The report kind of focused on, and even they showed a little video, that apparently once the firefighters had got there and were beginning to try to fight the fire of his house, that they had on video that all of a sudden Jose runs past the fireman and into the burning house and disappears, but then comes back out carrying his dog. Somewhere along the way, he realized that his dog was inside the house. And so he went into the burning house to rescue his dog and to bring it out. Now, some people would look at that and say, wow, that's kind of crazy. You know, it's good to love your animals, but to go into a burning house to try to rescue it, that's, that's a little bit extreme. And so the reporters asked Jose about his actions and running past the firefighters and running into the burning house to rescue his dog. And he made this statement. He said, I would do it again for those that I love, whether it's family or a dog. Jose was kind of putting an example to you and I that love will compel us to do things that we normally would not do. In that story about Jose Guzman, that uh, when his house burned down, that the reports uh, stated that he lost a lot of belongings and a lot of possessions, but he rescued his dog and all the family was fine. 
And so he didn't run in there and grab a gun that was one of his prize guns. He didn't go in there and grab some trophy that he had won in some type of competition. But he went in there and he rescued his dog. Why? Because the love he had for his animal compelled him to do so. Now, we could probably look through the news and find all kinds of stories over a period of time where people have come to some extreme measure where they've done something they would not normally do because they loved someone or something and love compelled them. That's what I want us to kind of see in this scripture today about the message that we are to be ambassadors for Christ, to go out and share the message of Christ. And it should be not because you have to or you're going to get struck by lightning if you don't get to or you don't get into heaven if you don't go share Christ with somebody, but it should be that love compels us to do that. I'm going to read this out of the uh, NIV translation this morning because some of the wording kind of makes that pop out to us. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Since then, and that's talking about the scriptures that have been referred to earlier about uh, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. So it's saying basically in view of the fact that someday we're going to have to stand before Christ and give an account of everything that we've done or not done with our lives. So Paul in this scripture in chapter 5 and verse 11, he's saying, since then or in view of or based on the fact that every single Christian will stand before Christ and give an account of their life, what they've done or what they've not done. He says this, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He said, we know what it is to reverence Christ, to have, be in awe of him and to love and respect him. And then he follows that by saying, we try to persuade men. So Paul is saying this, based on the reality, I'm going to have to give an account of everything that I've done and not done. And based on the reality that I fear the Lord, I love him, I respect him, I reverence him, I recognize the authority and power that he has in my life, based on what I'm going to have to be given account of and based on my relationship with the Lord, I try to persuade men. I try to persuade others. I try to persuade men, women, boys, and girls to come to know the same Christ that I know. He goes on to say this in verse 11. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He's writing to the church of Corinth, and kind of like a message to you and I today, he's saying, I hope that, he said, what we are or what I have done with my life is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to you and what you see in us. Verse 12 says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Part of what Paul's addressing as he's writing to the church of Corinth is that some people have addressed things about the appearance and the outward things about the apostle Paul. But he said, I want to appeal to you about what you've seen from my heart. And what he's relating to about his heart is that he knows he's going to have to give account for, for the things he's done and not done. He knows what his relationship with the Lord, and he knows that he should be persuading others to come to know Christ. That was what was in his heart. Kind of causes us to ask ourselves today what is in our heart. Now, verse 13, he says, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. And that's our pitiful verse that we're looking at today, that it is the love that compels us 
to go out and tell others about Christ, to work side by side with people and tell them about Christ and what he's done in our life and what he can do in their life, to go to school with other people. It's the love of Christ that compels us to tell them about what we've experienced. That verse 14 says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That's a good statement to pause for for a second. He said, I am convinced that Christ died for all. Now, this Apostle Paul, you got to kind of suddenly take a uh, synopsis of everything that he said in the past. He said that if it were possible, he would lose his salvation so that the Jewish people would come to know Christ. The Apostle Paul was the one that took the message to the Gentiles when the Jews thought that they were the chosen ones, the frozen ones. It was only them. He was the one that wanted to reach everybody with the gospel of Christ. He said, that makes no difference whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're a Greek or a Jew or a Gentile. He said, it makes no difference. And so when he said, I am convinced that one died for all, he's saying, I am convinced that no matter who a person is, what their background is, what their education level is, what their finances is, what type of home they live in, no matter how well off they are or how much they're struggling in life, Christ died for them. You know what Paul was saying? He said, I'm not going to look at anything on the outside of somebody. I don't care if they stink and dress terrible, Christ died for them. I don't care if they have a $500 suit and have an estate that is worth millions of dollars. Christ died for them. He said, I am convinced. I'm not going to, and we put it in today's terms, he's basically saying, I'm not going to go and choose, oh, I don't, I'm a little bit scared to go to that house, or oh, that's a little bit intimidating to go to that house. He said, I don't care. He said, if I knock on the door and it goes rackety, 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 Christ died for them. If I go to their door and there's suddenly this voice that comes, who's there at the door? And they're looking at me through their system that they've got hooked up to watch what's going on and alarm them of things. He said, I don't care. Christ died for all of them. And if Christ died for everybody, then everybody needs the Lord, don't they? If Christ died for everybody, then that surely means everybody needs the Lord. So in back to verse 1, he said, I'm convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so the verse 15 says, if he died for us, then we should live for him. Joyce has a t-shirt that says that if Christ died for me, then the least I can do is live for him. Comes from this scripture right here. Verse 16 says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Do you, do you get what I just described to you? Paul said, from now on, I'm not going to look at anybody from a worldly point of view. I'm not going to look at what their background is, how well off they are, how much they're struggling in life. I'm not looking at anything from a worldly standpoint. All I want to see is, do they know Christ as their personal Savior? Because every soul is precious to the Lord. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Doesn't matter if you smell good or don't smell good. Don't matter if you're wealthy or not wealthy. Don't matter if you've got a great education and you can outsmart anybody or whether you struggle, just carry on a good conversation. He died for you. 
So verse 16 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And that expression of reconciliation means to come in a right relationship. It's the expression that we sometimes will talk about when there's a marriage that has been broke up. And someone can come in the middle of that and persuade those folks that they need to see things from a different perspective. And they agree and they come back into a marriage relationship and they have been reconciled. The relationship has been restored. And that's what Paul is saying, that God sent Christ to die for our sins to bring us back into a relationship with him that has been destroyed by sin in our lives. Goes on verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, remember, therefore means what you just read, right? So he just said that we have been committed, which means we have been passed along, commanded, given the opportunity, the responsibility to be a representative or ambassador for Christ. So verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It's good to remember that God makes his appeal to others through us. God that has no plan of coming down to the earth and calling for a big pep rally and telling people that they need Christ. He is going to compel people through us or appeal to people. So he says in the end of verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I believe in these scriptures that there's really two things that are the main things, the main themes that God really wants to get across to you and I today. Here's the first one. And that is our mission is to share about Christ and his gift of salvation to others. Now, God has called me to preach And so I am preaching God's word. You just uh, heard Michael lead the music. God has called Michael to the music ministry. And so he leads you in worship. There are various people in this congregation that some teach from the infant nursery all the way to the senior adults. And they have been gifted to be teachers. And that's God's calling and ministry on their life. But the Bible is very clear that it makes no difference whether you're a preacher or whether you're a music minister, whether you're a teacher in a class, whether you work with a Discover Church, or whether you clean the church itself or where you mow the grass. There is one mission that we all share. Now, everybody in here is not going to preach. Not everybody's going to get up and stand behind a pulpit and preach to everybody. Not everybody's going to get up here and sing a song because... My wife plays the piano, and because Michael leads worship, sometimes people will ask me with my family around, Brett, do you sing? And they usually answer before I do. (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) We'll go on from that. God has given us different gifts and different talents, and he has different individual plans for us to serve him in individual different ways. But every single one of us have the same mission in life. To take those gifts and talents. You see, if I'm preaching, my mission is to help people come to know Christ and grow in Christ. 
If Michael's leading worship, he's helping you to come to know Christ and grow in Christ. If it's someone that's working with little uh, children in Discover Church, their whole mission is to help them come to know Christ and grow in Christ. So we're using different gifts, different talents, but every single person has the same mission. And that is the overall thing we're trying to accomplish, and that is seeing people, men, women, boys, and girls, come to know Christ and then serve him and grow in him. And so as I look at these scriptures, I'm reminded that that is one of the main things that I believe the Apostle Paul wants to get across to us, and that is our mission in life, every single person who reads these verses, is to share Christ and his gift of salvation to others. Here's what the, the Bible is just, we have described, the Great Commission it's kind of like God's overall command for all of us. It's in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, and it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the overall commandment, commission, that every one of us has been given. And you know, as we look at the scriptures today, it's very clear that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us that no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, if you're a Christian, your mission in life is to share Christ in some way, whether it's music, preaching, teaching, presenting God's house as a nice place to be at. Whatever you do, your overall end mission, you with me? Say amen. Your overall end mission in life is to see people come to know Christ and grow in Him. That's our end mission. The end mission is for a person who's up our teaching Discover Church is not, their end mission is not, okay, I, I got this lesson done, I taught these kids something, whoo-hoo, and I'm done. They about drove me crazy, but I'm done. That's not the mission. The mission is to get them to know something about Christ so that they will develop a desire for him and they will come to know him and grow in him as well. That's the overall mission. It's just the path that they're taking. Music, teaching, preaching, but our overall mission. I think I'm getting a point across, aren't I? <laughs> Y'all with me? The overall mission for every single Christian is to bring people to come to know Christ and see them grow in him. To come to know and to grow in Christ. And so, if I looked at verse 13, it's telling us that we should do that for Christ's sake. The Apostle Paul, he said, you know, if I'm out of my mind, it's for Christ's sake. He's basically saying that everything that he does is for Christ's sake. Matter of fact, if you were to uh, also look at uh, verse, I jumped a chapter ahead here. Verse uh, 15, I think it is. He said, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. So it's telling us that that's our overall mission in life, that once you become to know Christ, is that you live for him and not live for yourself. That's our mission in life. Verse 18 and 20 tells us that we have been given this ministry, and we are to be ambassadors for Christ. As I was studying this, one of the things when it, it uh, was talking about ambassadors, and most of us understand this uh, concept about ambassadors because we know that people are ambassadors for the United States to other countries, which means they represent us. But as I was studying the original Greek writing and the wording that was used there, it represents someone who is on the front line. 
who is the first one to approach. And as I got to think about that, that's really kind of true for ambassadors that are ambassadors to other countries for the United States. They're, most of them spend a good bit of time and maybe even live in that country, and they are on the front line, aren't they? They are there first representing the United States. And that's kind of what the Bible's saying that as ambassadors for Christ, it's meaning that not only that we represent him by the way we live our life and the influence that we have by the interactions that we do with other people, but it's saying that we are the front line that God has presented for us to tell others about Christ. So our mission is that God has put us on the very front line. Danny Goss would say, we're the point man. I think it's Danny liked that book, wasn't it? Point man. Point man, the one who is at the very front, on the front line, who takes it first. That's what the Bible is saying about you and I. We are reconciling people, bringing them to a right relationship, and God has put us on the front line to represent him. So our mission, I only got two points this morning, so it should be easy to remember. Our mission, every single person in here, our mission in life is to share Christ and his gift of salvation to others. For Christ's sake, we have been given this ministry. Now, with that understood, I think I've got that point across, that we all have this mission in life. Then the second thing I think that the Lord wants us to see is our motivation should be the love of Christ compels us to share with others. We have a mission. And what's our motivation? We want to be known as a soul winner? Some people like that. I love to be known as a soul winner. Some people, you might say, I don't really care if I'm known as a soul winner. That's not a big motivation for me. Some people may say, well, I've done something that other people haven't done. Matter of fact, I think it was Billy Graham who said that, uh, in his personal opinion, 85% of people who sit in churches have never told anybody about Jesus Christ and given them the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation. Now, if, he's, if he was accurate with that, that's a sad state, isn't it? Something is not motivating us to do what we've been called as a mission to do. And our motivation, according to these scriptures that we just read, is our most motivation should be that Christ's love compels us. You know, I told you about Jose Guzman. Why did he run into his burning house to save a dog? Love for that dog compelled him, didn't it? He said it with his own words. That I would do it again for family, or for one of my pets, because he loves them. It was the motivation that caused him to run into the fire. And the Bible tells us in this verse 14 that it should be the love of Christ that compels us, which means motivates us, moves us. And you know what? There is a verse in the Bible that is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible that tells us about this reality that love compels us. You know what it is? John 3.16, some of you remembered it, some of you might be cheating and looking, well, you're not cheating, you're looking at my sermon notes. John 3.16, and here's what John 3.16 says, for God so, what? Loved. So that, that verse is starting out with, what was God's motivation? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Loved, motivated him giving something sacrificially. Love motivated him and compelled him to do something 
that he would not have wanted to do except for the love compelled him. So the verse is saying, for God so loved the world, he so loved you and me, that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. So God so loved us so much that it compelled him to be willing to give his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we might have salvation. That was his motivation. It's the only thing that would have motivated him, and that is his love for us. Let me, let me tell you this. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. The only thing that motivates me to go out on a Sunday afternoon at 4.30 and go door-to-door to some houses and give them a packet of some information is because how much Christ loves me and how much he's counting on me to do that. And you know, the Apostle Paul made this statement in verse 11 that we read. I want to go back to that. He said, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. And we could usually think of the word persuade is to convince somebody. And that's the Bible's pretty clear that we're to compel people, that we're to persuade them and, and try to convince them to come to know Christ. But the word that they used had a very strong meaning in that it meant to try to convince somebody when you are totally convinced yourself. And you are counting on what you are convinced in to cause it to happen. Do you hear what I said? That you are trying to convince somebody of what you are totally convinced in and you are so convinced in it and so trusting in it that what you are trusting in and convinced in is going to convince them to come to know it. That's what Paul is saying when he said that simple word, persuade. So the Bible is telling us that love should compel us. And I like what he said in verse 12. He said, it's a matter of the heart. He said, some people look on the outside. He said, I want you to look on my heart and see where my heart is. And so what it really comes to is, if I have a true understanding of what Christ did for me, his love for me compels me to tell others about his love for them. Love compels us. It's not because, of, you know, we can look at the scripture and as I said a while ago, we could look at it and say, law or the law of God commands us to go out and witness to others. But I really like what Paul said here. It should be that the love of God compels us to go tell others. It's really a love issue. If a man's sitting at home watching a football game and his wife says, hey, could you help me with so-and-so? <laughs> game's getting good. Where is the love at? If you love the game, hold on. I need you right now. He's about to throw for maybe the winning touchdown pass. I need you right now. Love will compel either to stay there <laughs> or go help your wife. Love compels us. And so we got to make a decision today. A couple of decisions. Where are we going to be? Some of you got some trouble going on. <laughs> we got a couple of decisions to make, and that's whether we're going to fear other people or whether we're going to have a fear of God. Whether we're going to be motivated for our own personal motivations 
and desires or whether we're going to be motivated for God's desires. And you know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 10, 28, it says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And what's the Bible telling us? Don't worry about human beings that are limited in what they can, how they can react to you. I haven't heard about anybody going out and sharing the love of Christ with somebody getting killed recently. Matter of fact, in the whole saturate movement, I've only heard one person who got a negative response. Everybody else was positive. But the Bible's telling us, don't worry about what human beings can do. Worry about what God can do in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as they come to get the invitation song. And this invitation song today is, I think, from Casting Crowns. It's a song that reflects both our mission and our motivation in life, and that is, I'm a nobody telling everybody about somebody that saved my soul. Would you think about that for just a moment? Casting Crown sings, I'm a nobody, which means I'm not anybody special. I'm not anybody spectacular. I'm not somebody that's worthy great things. I'm a nobody. But this nobody is going to tell everybody about somebody, meaning Christ, who saved their soul. And you know, today I don't believe that really that God is really taking us to everybody in here to the extreme of saying, I'm going to tell everybody. But would you just choose today that you'll tell somebody? Just be a nobody that will tell at least one body about somebody who saved your soul. Lord, I thank you, God, for this precious word, for what it compels us. We all have fears in our life. Remember the first time I went to witness somebody, they were dying with cancer. And I was scared to death. But your Holy Spirit was telling me not to miss out on the opportunity about sharing Christ with them before they died. And so I got up my nerves, got my little New Testament, put it in my pocket, got in my five-speed Toyota Corolla, drove up to their trailer, got out in the dark, cold of the night, knocked on the door, went and sat down beside the bed of the person who was dying with cancer. Sweating bullets. Even thinking back, what in the world was I so scared about? person who was bedridden, dying with cancer. And I had the greatest message of all the world. I finally got my nerve and I shared Christ with them. And just heard them say, yes. I accepted Christ when I was such and such age. And I even wondered... Why did God motivate me to go share Christ with somebody who was already saved? Why did I go through all that trauma and all that fear? And just as soon as I asked the question, I realized that God was just getting me started. Getting me started on a positive note. That there are people who need the Lord and there's people who already know the Lord. And only those who have known the Lord have come to know Him because somebody shared Christ with them. Somebody needs your witness. It should be love compels us to do it. What's your decision today? Lord, we love you. Work in our hearts and our lives that we'd be faithful, obedient to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.